Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Thanks to Branch Basics for supporting today's episode of Elevating Motherhood. Branch Basics is an educational company that offers non-toxic, simple-to-use cleaning solutions for your home using one powerful plant and mineral-based cleaning concentrate. You can literally use their one concentrate to clean everything from bathrooms and windows to floors and laundry. I even use it to clean my makeup brushes. Simply dilute their safe, effective cleaner into their refillable bottles. The instructions are right on the label. Branch Basics has been an amazing addition to our home. I'm always looking for ways to reduce my family's toxic burden, and Branch Basics fits the bill. Plus, their goals align with mine, to make cleaning sustainable, affordable, and simple, all without the use of GMOs or animal testing. Head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash branch basics for my personal review of their products. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash branch basics. Parenting in the age of social media feels tricky, doesn't it? I found that a lot of parents feel insecure when it comes to rules about social media and how to approach it. We need to talk about it more and find ways to feel confident in our parenting in general, but especially when it comes to phones and social media. That's why I've invited Dr. Sarah Sarkis onto the show today to start that conversation and help us navigate these tricky waters. Dr. Sarah is a psychologist, writer, and performance consultant with a private practice in Honolulu, Hawaii, although it won't take you long to discover she's a Boston girl at heart. Her integrated approach is big on science and low on BS, empowering her clients to achieve long-term change and growth through an eclectic blend of psychology, neurobiology, and functional medicine. She created her blog, The Padded Room, as a virtual safe space to help people manage the jarring realities of life. There you'll find a soft landing for life's harshest truths. We'll be sure to link to that blog in the show notes. Check it out after the show. You can also find her monthly essay series, Shrink Wrap, via her work with the Flow Research Collective. Let's welcome Dr. Sarah Sarkis to the show. Aloha, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Oh, I am too. This is a hot topic and I like what you have to say about it. Um, But I'd love to hear more about you and what you do, what you're passionate about, you know, so we can get to know you a little bit more. Sure. I'm a licensed psychologist and I, I'm a writer. I have a blog and I also do like executive coaching and performance consulting, um, both on my own and through a really cool organization and group of people called the Flow Research Collective. Uh, I work with Stephen Kotler on that. So, um, 
I am originally from Boston, and so I come to Oahu via the East Coast, and I moved here, oh, about 10 years ago now, and um, replicated my private practice, which I had had in Boston, and um, then sort of over the last five years have gotten increasingly interested in kind of the wellness side of things. So I work with functional medicine doctors and naturopaths and um, other practitioners here on Oahu to help people get a really integrated kind of holistic psychology approach to their wellness. Um, and then I, I yeah, it's really great. And Hawaii is a great place to do it because the community is robust, but small. So everybody sort of knows each other, as you know, being on Maui. Yeah, that's um, actually a great way to describe it. Robust, but small. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and um, yeah, then I'm doing my consulting stuff. So starting about five years ago, I started to sort of think about how I would feel kind of just being in a private practice sitting all day long for like the next 20 years. You know, I love it now, but I wondered like, what's it going to look like on a 65-year-old? Mm-hmm. Um And that kind of got me thinking and being creative about uh, trying to move out of the brick and mortar sphere. So that's how I got into like the executive consulting and that kind of stuff. So that's a newer passion, but one that I really am having a lot of fun with. That's cool. I super appreciate multi-passionate people and because I feel like one too. And I get, I hear what you're saying about the business side of everything because I'm just starting to get into that myself with the, you know, the back end of the podcast and blogging and whatnot. And, and it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And I also think for women, I know like you have a family and I have a family and stuff. And I often find that for women, we have this period of time in our life that's like if you had a, if you have a family you know let's say in your late 20s or early 30s sometimes um this like peak crux of curiosity and creativity and boldness is delayed till you know later on like i'm in my mid 40s now so i just love like talking with women who are in this chapter of their life really whatever age they are but they're sort of like you know their families are established and they are really finding a new type of space for themselves and so this 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 kind of stuff working and talking with women in this regard has always just been super rewarding Totally. Part of the lifelong learning journey and the seasons that kind of come and go with that. I love that. Love that. And I'm so grateful that you in particular are here to talk with us about um, social media. I would love to start off with maybe some information about stats when it comes to social media and phone use, like who's using social media, how old, how young, what types of people, what apps kids are on, things like that. What I was shocked to hear was that in terms of social media specifically, actually 12 and a half years old was the average. So there were younger kids and obviously there were older kids. And then when I sort of dug even deeper, when they went and they looked at the parental statistics on that, uh, 55% of parents of 12-year-olds said their child was on Facebook and 75% of those 12-year-olds uh, the parents of the 12 year old, 75% of them said they helped them open the account. Mm. And then also that 
of the kids that are on social media. So, and let's define the popular social medias. So what I found was that it was sort of in this order, but all kind of very close. It was YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, with Facebook as sort of a distant fourth place. And so when we talk about social media, we can see that like our kids are, they're drawn into a world that those statistics probably look very different for adults, right? Like, I don't think that 70% of adults are on Snapchat, but no, 70, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not on YouTube either. No, I don't think I am. I'm like, reluctantly on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> That's right. for protest, might I add. I just want a book deal. If any agent wants to help me bypass that and take a peek at my blog, I'm, I'm a prime candidate. Um, yeah, so, you know, our kids are increasingly in this world that some of us know kind of very little about. 88% of kids on, and I'm going to define this this audience as roughly 12 to 18 years old. Um, 88% said they witnessed cruel behavior to another mm. person on social media. Social media is now exponentially the percentage is exponentially involved in um, all kinds of like sexual assault grooming situations where it used to have to be a lot of the grooming from, you know, molestation and pedophiles and whatnot had to happen, you know, face to face. So we saw it with sports teams or religious communities. Now a lot of that grooming is happening online. Mm. So this is a topic. I have an 11 year old. I know you also have a, a bigger family that even than mine. So, you know, it's a topic that is certainly for me, it's on my doorstep. Sure. Sure. And 12 is not that far away. Like uh, I have a six year old. I have an 11 and a half year old. Right. right. Yours is like right there, right there. <laughs> but you know, the last six years have flown by. So the next six years, I have no doubt are going to fly by too. And it's very interesting because our audience is very diverse. And I know that there are moms who like me when I started to hear the statistics, like the 12, you know, the 12 year old Mark kind of raised some red flags, some tingles in my body when I heard that, like, Oh, I don't know about that. And then um, not, not that I don't think it's truthful, just like out of concern of like, huh, I don't think I was quite ready for that low of a number. But then also the cruel behavior thing, I kind of had a visceral reaction to that too, of like, that's really sad. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's really one of the primary modes now on which we are unkind to each other. I mean, we see yeah. it as adults, right? Like, and I'm a grown adult with like a fully formed brain and psyche and, you know, and it still stings when somebody's unkind to you and our children are exposed to it very consistently online. I think, I think the statistic was either 25 or 27 percent of kids age 12 to 15 said they lost their closest friend through a conflict on social media. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's, you know, now the really interesting thing when you juxtapose this statistic, almost half of the children who, again, 12 to 18, who are being drawn to join these uh, platforms. And as we know, the the draw is strong, right? And they have less self-regulation right. than us. Um, and so 
almost 50% went seeking, quote, connection. So the, mm-hmm. the paradox there that they are seeking something quite healthy. They want to belong. Remember that in the period of time that we're talking about, so it starts with this period of development called latency age, and then obviously heads sort of headlong into the stage of development we call puberty or adolescence. And that is the, those are the two developmental stages that span ages 10 to eight, to roughly 18 or 20, right? And in that period of time, there is no other period of time in the trajectory of our development, not in our earlier childhood, nor in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, that a sense of belonging is more critical to the to the sapien animal than in latency age and adolescence. It's when our friend group becomes the single most influential relationships in our life. And that's what's driving them to go find this sense of connection. It is a normal developmental urge that they are having. And this is what's available to them now in this, you know, sliver of history. So that the drive isn't necessarily unhealthy, but what unfolds within that world and those worlds, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, all of them, is really taxing our kids. It's really, you know, a lot of times it's well above their emotional pay grade. They don't know how to handle what's going on in there. Right. And by the way, we don't because we didn't have this stuff growing up. I mean, I don't know how far apart we are in age, but we can't be that far that, you know, I mean, did you grow up with social media as like the primary stuff in your adolescence? No, I actually, I was born in 1980 and I am that zenial micro generation of people born between 1977 and 1983, which includes my husband and I just barely, Love it. Um, but we grew up without technology, but then we were also the first generation to embrace everything that technology brought with it, like online dating yeah, and things like that. So you know, and we're parents now <laughs> and I, we have a six and a four and a two year old and I have friends who have teenagers that are the same age as us. Um, and heck, I know some people who are grandparents at my age too. And it's very interesting because you're absolutely right. Uh, we don't, we're, I like to call us parenting pioneers because we're like, we've gone off to the wild west by ourselves. We have no idea what to do. We have no generational stuff to pull from at all. Um, And then we don't even have the experience of it necessarily growing up. It's like we stepped into it with an adult brain. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get the feeling like everybody is making things up. (laughs) when it comes, you know, we're just like guessing, you know, like, okay, well, maybe you can have an account when you're 15 or okay, maybe you can do this or maybe you can do that. But we don't have anything backing that up. And I think another part of the issue is, is that because we don't know what to do, and because we're making up all of these different rules, a lot of parents and a lot of people just in general are just throwing their hands up in the air and saying, you know, well, it's out there and kids are on it, and they're going to be on it anyway, and there's nothing we can do about it. So they like to, you know, I get the sense that people and parents like to say like they've accepted that it's there, but like I said, it's because they don't know what to do about it. Yeah, they feel powerless. 
Yeah. So I would actually love to hear from you a little bit before we get into the what we can do, or maybe some guidelines, the why behind it, like why we should be concerned about it, why we should study it and have guidelines and all of that, because maybe you can share with us maybe more about what kids are being exposed to online. Sure. Um, that's a great question and a great way to frame it. And I'll sort of say this ahead of time. Is that like, I think if we really, if we really looked back at each generation and I think probably our parents had a correlate like to this, right? I don't, I can't quite think about what it was because I didn't have enough, um, I didn't have enough uh, grace to ask either of my parents about this while they were alive, right? But like, I'm sure they felt like a fish out of water with certain elements. Maybe it was video games. Maybe it was, I guess I'm still a little bit older, but your generation, like cell phones probably started to exist kind of earlier in your trajectory. But the, every generation has this, and this is ours. And in that way, we are pioneers, and we are making it up. And I'm a, you know, person who's spent my life, like, in working with people. And I can tell you, like, you know, I'm making as arbitrary a lines in the sand with my kid um, as I as the next person. So I think we're we're all in the same boat, and I think that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So I do think that historically, when we look back, like you know, parents will find their way, and conversations like this are how we'll get there. But kids are, you know. Th- Listen, actually, there's super interesting stuff about adolescence right now, which tells us that actually this generation of kids is awesome and they're doing great and they're doing tons of stuff better than we did. This is a generation of kids who are more conservative with smoking, more conservative with um, sex, more conservative with binge drinking. This is a generation of kids that kind of has, you know, they are definitely finding themselves in partially in reaction to how our generations were, right? But we do have all this new ways that people, I'm putting air quotes, sort of connect with one another and social media and the online world is really that kind of frontier where we're just experimenting. And we don't have longitudinal studies to look at because it hasn't existed long enough to have longitudinal studies. And this is, you know, a big social experiment on that level, and kids are facing a lot. This is how I would say it. I think at the core intersection of what latency age and adolescence sort of propels us to figure out about ourselves: sense of belonging, sexuality, gender, peer groups, um, all kinds of boundary things are being figured out in this um, developmental stage. All of that remains consistent, but the the vehicle through which they're having to navigate it is much more complex. Because think about when you had a fight with a friend and you were, let's put you at 14. Okay. You had a fight with your best friend. Think like how far could it really spread before the next day? Not that far. No. Now it is so it's just able to be t- 
talked about at such a large scale. And yet kids are still working out the same things that we have to work out when we're in that age. Also, you know, fear of missing out, uh, social anxieties, obviously bullying. Uh, There's a lot of pitfalls in those early years of figuring out like what's appropriate, like sexually. So there's really just no end. Any any aspect of their adolescent self that they are going to exercise is going to be exercised through this platform because it's how they're connecting now. Now kids like with Instagram, they don't like even text message each other anymore. They sit on Instagram and Instagram message each other. That's where plans are being made. Like remember when you had to be near a phone? To like, yes, with a cord attached. <laughs> so that's all happening now, like on these platforms. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we could really spin the wheel and you could do a different topic for every single month and have a full hour on it. Like, what do you want to explore today? Right, what totally. What do you want to explore? FOMO? You want to explore anxiety? Want to explore eating disorders? Want to explore substance abuse? Want to explore all the pitfalls? that are available to every single adolescent from every generation prior to them is just available there. Right. Um, It's like it's being talked about, you know, en masse in the bigger picture. Like uh, there's so much talk about it because so many people can talk about it, the issues and the problems and the caddy fights and things like that, you know, because it's just blasted out there. So it, on some level, it almost feels like more people are talking about it and yet maybe less is being said sometimes because they don't know what to say. So yeah, it's almost like everyone's talking about the issue. Or sometimes but then, people are just talking about the negative, like the anxiety, yeah. right? But also like there's this phrase that um, the people I work with at the Flow Research Collective use that I just love, so I have to footnote them properly, but they say never trust the dopamine. And it's basically a way of saying like, you know, when you feel that rush of like, I was liked, I was I was retweeted, I was, I became, when you feel that, don't trust that. That's the dopamine. And so we haven't even like, we're just brushing the surface of like what happens to a generation of people that become simply addicted to the immediate feedback of, you know, positive feedback. You know, what what happens to our sense of motivation, to our sense of risk-taking, to like how does it change us when we're just constantly getting hits of dopamine. And that's the positive side. Like when people are, you know, getting the quote followers and getting a good, what they consider a good sense of community, like, oh, I'm not being trolled and like beaten up and bullied on here. I'm being rewarded. And even that we have to now as parents really think about how that's shaping our child's reinforcement patterns and what they're willing to do to increasingly get that hit of dopamine. A thought just occurred to me as you're saying this when it comes to parents, because I was sitting here thinking, huh, I wonder if other moms are listening to this going, wow, like I know I'm supposed to be thinking about this in terms of my kids, but now I'm thinking about it in terms of me because we are simultaneously trying to figure it out ourselves and parent it at the same time. That being said, it would make complete and utter sense why moms, myself, other people I know, other people I don't know, 
when you're constantly getting that positive feedback of likes and community and support and all of these different things, because I'm definitely involved in a lot of that and am the support for other moms, but it would be more tempting to turn to your phone for that, that the dopamine hits, if you will, than to deal with a toddler who's just constantly melting down. Yeah. So like, and like given kids, the choice between yeah. the two, you oh, know, people are going to reach for their phone. Yeah. It's the same process. And dopamine is critical to the learning process. It, dopamine actually helps us from a neurochemical standpoint. It helps us. It reinforces learning. And so it's particularly addictive. And it's the mm-hmm. hallmark feature inside any addictive process. And so it is something that I think we all have to be really mindful of. And we have to you know, as parents, especially, I mean, the biggest power we have um, as parents, we we now know, you know, I've gone on other podcasts and on my blog, I talk a lot about epigenetics. And um, one of the things we know now, as we're starting to understand epigenetic influences, is that actually our genetics account for not as much of who we become as we thought. Right. um, In the world of parenting, the strongest influence is modeling. And modeling is a really nice way of saying your kids are watching you and they're going to (laughs) do what you do. And horror when we really think about that. So the biggest influence we have as parents is the power of modeling. And it is the single most It's the epicenter of where you actually shape your children, these long-held neurobiological patterns that emerge um, in families. We call them intergenerational patterns of attachment, where you'll see sort of like, you know, generational patterns within a family. They're, They're largely governed by modeling. And so as we start to have a new branch that we can observe, which is called the world of tech, We're also going to see generations of people that had very similar relationships with tech. And so if we really want to influence our kids and if we're really serious about addressing this from the root, you know, the root causes of a lot of these sort of dopamine addictions, right? Then Mm -hmm. we got to look at ourselves. which, you know, I'm saying that with all the horror of being a mom that, you know, is fully human. So it's like, it's a horror to realize that, but it is true. Like if somebody said to me, you can only say one thing to tell the audience today that will in the long run, I'm not talking short run, this isn't a behavioral chart, but the long run really move the needle of how you can influence your children to be incredibly mindful about how they orbit in this world um, of social media. I would say, you know, look at yourself and really look at how tech operates in your family and what your kids are seeing when they're out with you, your friends, your social group, what are they seeing? But I'd say this about anything. I want to be clear. It's not just social media, right? If you want your kids to grow up to be people that are, you know, capable of having like, let's just take drinking, like capable of sort of drinking in a socially responsible way, like they've got to see it. They've got to see Mm -hmm. people doing it. And even then with these, with dopamine, even then you just, you know, you're fighting, you got to fight in chance like the rest of us, because it's a very, it's part of our learning process. And I would also say this related to that social media piece of it. 
we should at least contemplate that we should be that our children should be involved in a decision on whether or not they want to be on social media by a certain age, right? So like, I don't ever post about my child because when he was, first of all, I'm not that way, but when he was about seven um, or maybe even younger, he started saying to me, I don't like that you put me there, like put me on that thing. And so I had to stop doing it because otherwise it's like, what am I saying to my kid? Like, oh yeah, yeah, nice that you don't like that, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're modeling to them boundaries. And then how do we then later when the teenager comes home and says, I got suspended from school because I posted a picture that Johnny asked me not to. And Johnny took action against me and I'm now suspended, how do we say to them, how could you do that? Because really deep down, they're going to say, well, you did it to me my whole life. Why wouldn't I do it? So I think there's ways that we can begin to include our kids in this that can end up yielding really meaningful results. I love that. I love what you just said. Uh, twofold. One, I think that including kids is a big message within my family. And then one that listeners hear over and over on the podcast too, um, with different guests is really just including them, honoring them as an individual. You know, you are a family and you, you have your dynamics, you know, of mother and child and all of that, but just honoring the fact that they are their own person. They are an individual with feelings and opinions and preferences and just bringing that into every level of parenting. I mean, there are whole entire philosophies about it nowadays that are more mainstream where you actually um, respect them from infancy on. Yeah. as their own person. Um, and then the other part of that is really looking at ourselves, because I think you're right. And I, it doesn't matter what the topic is at all. It's us being aware of ourselves, knowing ourselves, having boundaries for ourselves, having standards for ourselves, thinking about our lives, you know, not necessarily overthinking, but giving it some thought, figuring out what our values are, um, including um, with social media and what our family's values are surrounding it, bringing everyone in on the conversation and really talking about it, but then also looking at ourselves and being honest with ourselves. Because I know that if I were to take an honest look at myself today and be vulnerable, vulnerable about it, I need to put down my phone more when I'm around my kids. You know, I try to justify it to myself all the time because I run multiple businesses and, you know, I'm constantly trying to check in or schedule this or schedule that. But really, um, just the other day, I listened to a podcast where these people were talking about, um, sectioning off an entire hour of undivided attention a day with their kids Mm -hmm. and just really sticking to that. And that struck me as something that I felt like I could do totally, and I needed to do. Um, But it definitely takes a moment of me stepping back and being like, okay, Lori Beth, I don't talk to myself in third person, but um, you know, you, if you want to do something about it, it's, you ha- you're going to have to take action steps. It's not going to magically happen. You're not going to magically use your phone less because like you said, we are human. And, and, and there's no magic to it, right? So magic right. places it like it's not an actual neurochemical process that's happening, right? Never trust the dopamine. It's, you can't, you can't magic your way out of addictive processes and we all have them. And right. myself included, I'm, I'm completely with you. I, um, I have to relentlessly, um, 
observe my own patterns because otherwise, I mean, I always joke like I could be like Gary Busey by the end of the weekend if I really let myself go. Otherwise, I just am sort of somebody who will always like if a little bit is good, a lot must be terrific. So like that's just kind of my basic temperament style. And, and in, in reaction to that, I try to be kind of highly disciplined, right? But often when you see really disciplined people right under the surface is somebody that feels kind of quite susceptible to being swept up in this stuff. So I totally get it. Um, and something you said that I wanted to follow up on too, is that this is something that needn't even be kind of like a place where we shame ourselves, right? It's not like I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing that or that every family, when I work with families, I always try to stress that there truly is no one size fits all. And that, um, you know, I've been in private practice now for like 17 years and I have never actually worked with a family where they weren't doing their absolute best. Like most people come at parenting, just like people come, most people come to marriage, even though the, the survival statistics are somewhat in a PR free fall, but most people come to marriage and they come to parenthood, you know, just full of hope. And so we're all doing the best we can. And as long as I think we we use the spaces that we have, right? We're using tech right now to address this topic. And there's going to be all these people sitting and listening to this at some point, which they could not have done when we were growing up. And so even information was more siloed. So, and like the kids are showing from the statistic, they're going for connection. So I think if the intentions, if we can keep as a generation, keep our intentions moving in the direction of um, trying to help our kids navigate this and navigating it ourselves with mindfulness, you know, I mean, I still have the utmost faith that we'll all get there. In fact, my, my sense if I had to take a, um, you know, like if we did like a 10 year follow up and we took some bets on like how this, how this will arc. Um, my bet is that this generation or the one coming up, like either my kids generation or your kids, your younger kids generation, right. Um, will flip the other side and go almost analog again. They'll, sure. you know, there'll be some other undulation that's, uh, switches to this other style, but, um, it does. My old lady heart will like that yeah. because I grew up with technology. So it'll feel like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that'll be good. Exactly. We'll finally be able to communicate with that generation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do think that there is, uh, there's just a ton that people can do. And I always encourage parents to just, you know, like start, um, it's always easier to loosen boundaries than it is to have to tighten them. That's from a, from a, like a learning and a brain standpoint, it's just harder for children to, to have a lot of slack and then lose it. 
Um, so, you know, if you're still on the cusp, like it sounds like you and me are, uh, it's a great time to really think about what we're talking about and research it more and figure out for your family what will work. Um, because if you start out with tighter reins, then you're going to be able to incrementally loosen it you know, according to your comfort level and the kid you're dealing with, right? Your kid's going to be giving sure. feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're sitting around all the time on social media or they're feeling really sad or if they feel always really, ha- or their moods are tied to the access to social media or the response to a certain post. I mean, this is feedback. It's data. Hmm. That's really compassionate to say now. And I felt that way throughout this entire conversation. I, you know, you being compassionate toward parents saying we are showing up and doing our best and we can rest easy in that. And then even earlier on in the interview, when you were talking about your parents, I thought that was a very compassionate approach that you took too. of, you know, that they were trying their best as well. And just even for kids, you know, you're being compassionate toward them and honoring them as individuals. And you have, you have this hope I do for that generation where I feel like this conversation at first, I kind of thought it would be general questions of like, okay, now we're so concerned about this and no one knows what to do and quick, give us information and guidelines about what age we should start letting our kids use social media or what should we do if this happens and what should we do if that happens? But really, I think that your broader message is saying, talk about it, honor the individual, show up as an individual parent, listen to your individual child's cues, have that conversation and be open about it. Talk about the risks that you had mentioned earlier, you know, the FOMO and social anxiety and other, you know, addiction issues and just an awareness of that, but then also the benefits of it too, so that there is that balance there. So it's not like, oh no, social media, it it has such a charge to it. Yeah. And if we have a negative, right, if we go into it, like the one thing kids have that I didn't get until I had one. Like, had I known that I had it as a kid, I probably would have exploited it more. It just comes intuitively to them. But like, they can smell and sense fear (laughs) and weakness. And like, it's like, they just like seize on you. Right. And you're like, oh my God, I thought I was playing this off so well. Like, how did they know that all they had to do was clip my Achilles and I was going to be like dragged out from the herd. And The thing is, is that if you have a plan, like nobody should be caught flat-footed anymore. It's like women in menopause. Like none of us should be caught flat-footed anymore that menopause happened. Everybody talks about it, right? So when you have a kid, you you know that eventually you're going to face this. It's not going to magically go away. And um, so none of us should be caught flat-footed. And there's so many practical things that you can do ahead of time that can also help your kids develop into an online citizen that is mindful and conscious. Now, there's going to be developmental limitations because the brain is only so developed during that age and also critical for parents to know is that um, the reason that adolescents are always like, you know, for the lack of a better expression, sort of doing stuff that we think is like dumb and dim-witted. You're like, why did you do that, right? (laughs) Actually, because that's how they learn. 
failure and messing up and making mistakes. And like they don't learn their boundaries until they cross over them. And so they're in the learning process. And we have to know that social media um, will follow that same rule. It's not like we'll be like now, you know, in every other domain of your life, you seem to have to learn from practice. But here, you're going to just magically hatch into somebody who knows what to do online, right? So, Sarah, that's my favorite part of this whole conversation so far, because when you put it like that, I'm like, wow, <laughs> that seems so obvious. But we do, we put this heavy on it. We put this absolute heavy on it and we pretended like... And because we're afraid, right? Like, listen, yeah. you you see, you see yeah. at the top of the hour, you have friends who have um, adolescent kids, and so do I. And I know so many like amazing kids who just did like one dumb thing in adolescence, um, you know, and it had bigger consequences than I got. Like, you know, like yeah. I never had to really face this kind of stuff. And I was like somewhat of a provocative kid, you know, I wasn't like a wallflower sitting and following. I'm the youngest of six. I certainly wasn't following rules, oh but the gosh. consequences <laughs> were so much less. So I think yeah. we all go in also scared, you know, scared that this is the wild west and we don't have the tools to protect our kids. Um, but we do. And most parents um, that I have worked with are really deeply invested in trying to help their kids. I will say that universally present company included the hardest recommendation that I give is the one that is like really kind of looking at your own tech use. Right. Uh, that's the hardest. And, you know, I always say like, start with no tech time in my house. Basically my husband and I sort of came up with the thing where like, we wouldn't come home from work unless we were ready to put the phones away and just be home. And then like, mm -hmm. after the kid goes to bed, you can pull it back out and mutually ignore each other sitting next to each other on the couch. Do we actually want our kid to see that as the way that we relate to each other, right? And like when I was honest about that, I'm like, no, I don't. Like that's not a good look. So, you know, I think there's a lot of practical stuff people can do. Like when, my kid's not on social media yet. I don't know when that will be. Um, I've been kicking the can down the road for quite some time. Same with a phone. He doesn't have a phone. He wants one. But I know that like my husband and I have come to an agreement that when we do decide he's going in, he'll be in sixth grade next year. So he's in fifth grade. Now I anticipate that I'll try to get to eighth grade at the time that we do allow him, then he's got to create a contract. He's got to come up with the rules that he's going to live by. Then we add our rules to it. I sign it. He signs it. Dad signs it. And um, it, that's a changing thing, right? The rules at 13 will be different than the rules at 17 or 16 sure. or 14. But that, you know, he really participate in thinking about and thinking through ahead of time what he's willing to take responsibility for. Mm. Do you think that, I think that's a brilliant idea. And I still think um, he'll break every rule. And I still think that that's how they learn. That's yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. He'll be a teenager. Yeah. But at least well, you're I'm... having the conversation. And then when right. the rules are broken, it's not like it's not like a shock to them. You're like, no, no, remember, we all participated 
in creating this together. Um, And then it also gives us a space to observe like, oh, you know, buddy, like look at what happens. Like sometimes even the rules we came up with ourselves are really hard to follow. Yeah. And we are starting to. Right. The contract isn't going to be like chipped out in stone. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not a tool to shame them, right? Like you broke the rules. That's important. It's a space to have conversation and it's a, it's a gesture to help your child begin to think about what it means to actually exist in this space we call sort of online or if we narrow it, social media. Right. Just out of curiosity, do you think you'll include any virtual citizenship guidelines in that contract? Yeah. So um, my ki- my kid goes to this uh, really cool school over here in Oahu. They He's been there for seven years. And from the time that I got there, the kids have to sign a like online citizens agreement. Um, they have to read it when they're little, you have to read it. And then as soon as they can read it, they have to read it to you and they have to sign it and you have to sign it and the teacher signs it. And so that, um, thought came to my mind through being exposed to that. You know, I hadn't had a kid before. I'd never had a kid go to school. So I certainly hadn't thought about it. And I definitely will. I like, you know, with my kid, we've, we already, he, he's already online, you know, cause he's got a computer with school and now they like type stuff. And the other night we had a, a first where like he had an online like meeting for a group project, like with a bunch of classmates, like we'd never done that before. So by the time they're 11, you're kind of robustly having the online conversation. And, you know, I don't know, this could be a topic for a different day, but like we have a bunch of rules around websites and like if he clears his history and like all kinds of kind of specific things that we're trying to get him to start to think about. The first and foremost is that he never refers to like, it's not his computer, it's our computer that he uses, Mm. right? Like the ownership is that it's ours. So like, I'll check everything on our computers. I'll check everything on our iPads. And I don't say it in a way that's like menacing. I more say it like, it's just kind of something you do once you have these tech devices, because you want to make sure that bad stuff isn't happening on your IP address. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, there's lots you can do there and it branches and when we get into the online discussion, we really get into like, especially with adolescents, we really get into the larger discussion of like what they face from a sexuality standpoint, you know, cause right. that's kind of where they're going to go to get that information now. Right. You know, and I really appreciate that you mentioned that because they aren't going to intuitively know how to handle no. all of the information that comes their way. And so it's not a trust issue. And I think that's how kids interpret it yeah. or even how some parents end up interpreting it of like, well, I want to trust them to do this, but they are still children and developmentally, you know, from a very basic level, they're just not going to know how to handle all of this. And it would, I, I think... And of course, this is me talking with younger kids. I don't have to deal with it. You know, some teenage parents might be laughing at me right now, but, you know, I would want them to come to me if they feel like they can't handle some, some information or some visuals or, or things that they've been exposed to online. I want to be available and, you know, trust them, but them have them trust me 
to say, hey, mom, you know, I saw this. It's kind of bothering me. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. I think the best way to, and I think, again, like that's such a healthy desire from a parent, right? It's like that comes with such good intention because like it's hard for our adolescent children and our latency age children to believe this because we horrify and mortify them, but we have their best interest at heart and um, we're their biggest fan. Like, that's what I say to my kid all the time. Like, I am like, I am literally the captain of your fan club. I know it's hard to believe, but like, I have your best interest at heart. And I think the best way to ensure that, and then I'm going to put a little bit of a Pollyanna caveat on top of it, but I think the best way to uh, to ensure that is that we start young, communicating age-appropriate ways, and obviously like cultural norms come in and religious norms come in and stuff like that. So you got to find your own language, um, but you know, start young, talking to them openly about the topics that they're ready to talk about and. Children will, up to a certain point, this is my caveat, up to a certain developmental point, um, children don't have any sense of shame. You know, they don't like, they're not embarrassed. They're not like, the, you know, that's why they'll like sit there and, you know, undress in front of a cast of thousands. They don't even have that capacity from a developmental standpoint. But at a certain point, it does start to kick in and it peaks it peaks around and in this stage of development that we're talking about. And so the caveat is this, is that start young, make communication open, create space that they can come to you and they can talk to you about these things and be honest and vocal about that you are an imperfect person who is figuring it out as you go along, but that you are doing your best and these are the rules and know that there will be a pulling away during adolescence. They won't come to you anymore. You've lost them. If you're listening mm-hmm. and you have an adolescent who suddenly is no longer coming to you and talking to you about this stuff, or you have a child who is now in adolescence and you're hoping suddenly will come to you and talk to you about this, it ain't going to happen. It's very unusual. It, it does happen, of course. There's always outliers. But the vast majority of us follow these very kind of tried and true developmental um, benchmarks. And one of them is that we start to pull away from our parents. We are preparing to leave the nest. And Mm -hmm. that kind of, um, you know, it's a rupture. There are ruptures that are healthy in the developmental process. In fact, over-enmeshment is always an indication that something kind of went awry, right? And a normal pulling away will occur. So start early because by the time they're in puberty, you know, you're on the back nine of them coming to you for the big life events. You're going to have to catch them. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I'm not there yet. I have really good friends who are there and it's just, I'm watching from the outside, like half smiling because I know it's like normal. normal. I I know. And I would want parents of adolescents to know that like, it is painful because it is for us at a, at at the very least at an unconscious level as parents is that we know that this is the stage where they begin to have an identity that exists outside of just family, the family nucleus, whatever that may look like. Uh, It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be genetic. It can be, uh, you know, as we call it here, the Hanai family. Um, But a sense of belonging in that circle starts to widen. Um, And so it is painful for us as parents but it's also healthy and there's a certain amount of it that is kind of necessary 
but it doesn't mean we should not then at the same time, you know, if you know your kid's in trouble or you have a suspicion that they're kind of well above their pay grade in terms of being able to handle what might be unfolding or you just have um, parental intuition, you know, speak up, say something, you'll never regret it. Right. That's true. Speaking your truth is, and that's wonderful modeling too, right? Um, Even if you're nervous to speak up and say something out loud. Yeah. Unpopular, uncomfortable, all these things. I I just recently have had a conversation and said, it's a little awkward to say out loud, but I really want to say it. And you know, it wasn't poorly received by, you know, the teenager. hundred percent. Exactly. but I just, I felt better. They felt better. It was out there. You know, we got to move on knowing that we both spoke our truths, which is good. But I, I love everything that you've been talking about because I think, I suspect that a lot of listeners had tuned in hoping for these guidelines, these lists. I feel like we have been conditioned to look for lists of what to do or, thing, you know, things to take to, to solve problems. And really, this is more about fear and then getting over that and understanding things like develop what's developmentally appropriate, you know, and knowing that if we don't know what that is, you know, we can turn to other people and ask other moms, teachers, child development professionals, things like that. There's information out there and that we don't have to view social media use as a heavy we can view it as a fact of our everyday lives. You know, it is in our everyday lives and kids are getting exposed to it. But instead of throwing up our hands and being like, oh, well, that's just how it is. We know that we can approach it with reflection, self-analysis, open communication, conversations, and talking very openly, knowing that our kids aren't going to instinctually know how to handle everything. We can be open with them, have those uncomfortable conversations about the risks, the benefits, um, you know, virtual citizenship and what that means, our family values and all of this. And that's just such a more comfortable space for everybody. Yeah. You feel less disempowered, right? And this is a space where we can feel very, very powerless. But the truth is like your kids in reality, I mean, they can sneak it and stuff, right? But if you've already set up the boundaries where the devices are yours, they're not in your bedroom at night, I check them, I have the passwords, All if all of these d- boundaries are set up, the truth of the matter is, is that our children are not ever going to have an online presence that we haven't somehow condoned. Because even just turning a blind eye is condoning right? Even inaction Mm -hmm. is an action. And so the truth is, is that we are the ones that can regulate this for them. And so for sure, the conversation and your, your synopsis is perfect. And it is like, I was sitting there thinking, wow, she really ties things up well. Um, Uh, Well, I heard you. I was listening. I was was taking copious amounts of notes. (laughs) I was like, wow. Um, so, um, but for myself, if nothing else, not to even summarize, I was like, okay, it's all right. You're going to be okay. Yeah, got it says a lot about your capacity mind. to conceptualize <laughs> things quickly and say them um, so succinctly. So I was very impressed. And it's okay. also true for parents that like the truth of the matter is that like what is going to emerge ultimately in the long run is that your child and children and your family as a nuclear 
cohort is going to have the boundaries and the tech culture that you model. Mm-hmm. And we can, once we own that, right? Like I own my relationship with my device. I'm not always happy with it. And like you, I often, and they're not just justifications. It's true. Look at, we are moms and wives and women trying to put mm-hmm. together um, businesses and be financially independent, right? So like that right. takes time. Um and, and it does take focus and effort. So it's not an easy thing to do. And it, it, and you do have to be on it. You have to engage in it. If you, right, like what use is having this great podcast if you're not going to in some way use this technology to, right. to you know, leverage your strengths. So, but it's also true that we have to, we have to really look at how we let that be expressed in our day in and day out life. And there's a ton, like once it's our responsibility to, to control what we model to our child, then we're never powerless because it's actually inside me. Like, oh, the thing I can control is me. My choice, my boundaries, my parenting method, what my child is exposed to when he or she is with me, um, you know, and that's a ton of control. So I say hmm. we we have way more power than maybe we feel when we just think of this kind of as a big global thing that's like happening to us as a society. But at the nitty gritty, hmm. you got, you know, we all still are, um, just like our generation before us, right? Like, and their parents, like, you know, we're ultimately the ones that are going to set the course for how our kid orbits in this world in this way. That's awesome. Sarah, this has been just brilliant, this whole conversation. And at the end of it, I feel like I've come full circle from the fear at the beginning and the sensationalizing and all of that, because I was kind of buying into that. And I'm leaving this conversation feeling like I just took a big breath of fresh air. So glad. And that I don't have to worry as much as I was allowing myself to worry. And then, like you said, owning my phone use, owning my little things that I tend to feel guilty about instead of just sitting around and feeling guilty guilty about it, realizing that I do have control over it and that there are super powerful benefits to making sure that I model healthy habits and that I don't go into this this developmental phase and what's going to come sooner than later for my three girls with a sense of fear. I just, I don't feel that. Remember, they'll detect (laughs) They will. They do. They'll be a sitting duck. Exactly. So I'm not going to do that. But (laughs) if listeners want to connect with you more, where can they find you? Uh, I have a website, which is Dr. Dr. Sarah with an H, Sarkis. I'm sure you'll put it in your show notes and stuff. For sure. DrSarahSarkis.com. And there I have a blog that I contribute to really regularly. This podcast will be there. And then I'm on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all that jazz. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your insights. I super appreciate you. Thank you. This was great. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. 
If you liked today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.